Yesterday we had a wonderful time in our new members class um, and we were able to hear those share their testimonies of how they were saved, those who are interested in uh, potentially joining Sparrow Baptist Church. And so if you're in that class, uh, Brother Dan's already mentioned to me that he wants to join the church, we'll do that right after the sermon. And if you would like to do that, then just come forward. If you'll, you still need to think about it, that's perfectly understandable. Um, then, uh, I, of course, there's no pressure. And the class is just meant to explain uh, what does it mean to be a church member of Sparrow Baptist Church. Um, it's very easy for us to have uh, various ideas of what that might mean. And so for us to clearly define that. Um, and so if you took that class yesterday and you would like to join, then you can come up with Brother Dan. And it'll just be a simple voting process as we explained um, in the class. And if you need to uh, think about it a little bit, that's perfectly understandable. And uh, you can do that when you're ready. Um, okay. Ephesians 2 and verse number 8 and 9, we're going to begin. My, uh, my notes on my iPad are not working the way they should. And so I will probably transition to my laptop once again. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would bless now. As your word is being preached, help us to receive more and more and more assurance as we listen to this lesson today. Father, if there is someone here today that is doubting whether or not they would go to heaven when they died, whether they've been forgiven, I pray that you would increase their conviction that they are lost. Show them clearly one way or the other if they are saved or if they are lost. Father, if they're saved, give them that extra push of courage to trust you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look in your word, make it very clear. And I pray, God, that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message is, or the the. The title of the message or the, the, the theme of the message is assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. Knowing for sure that we are saved. The Bible says in the verses that we have read that we are saved by grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense is, is one short definition. It is also meaning that all of the cost for our salvation was put on Christ. We are not the ones that are paying for our salvation through good deeds and through good works. Um, and that's what is meant by grace, that we are saved by grace. We are not saved through a transaction of my good deeds, and God then exchanges that, takes that payment of my good deeds, my religious uh, works, and then gives me salvation. And, of course, that uh, we, we receive salvation through faith. We must trust what the Bible says concerning 
our sinful condition. We must trust what the Bible says concerning uh, Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for our sin. And that if we give ourselves to him, if we give our faith and trust to him, that he will save us. And the Bible teaches very clearly that once we have received this gift of salvation, it is eternal life. The Bible says in John chapter 10 that we will never perish. And so this gift is something that we will have for all eternity. The problem is that sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we can doubt whether or not we are truly saved. Oftentimes we can think that, I don't know if I am saved, but sometimes we can doubt because we're observing somebody else. We're watching somebody else who may claim to be a Christian, but maybe they don't really act like it in a way that we think that they should. And so because of the actions of somebody else, we can think, well, maybe I'm not saved or, or, or what have you. And so, um, it's very important for us to realize that it is not wrong for us to experience doubts. God gives us his word so that we can address the doubts specifically so that we can have confidence in our salvation. Please let me mention this as we go through these. Remember, we'll go through a list, but it's not just one thing because we may list one thing and say, this is evidence that you are saved. It's very easy to fixate on just one of these things and think, well, I know one person that doesn't exhibit this one thing. And so maybe they're not saved. Or maybe you think, well, there is an area that pastor mentioned that I struggle in. And so I don't know if I'm saved. It's very important for us to look at these as a cluster or a collection. God doesn't just give us one thing to know whether or not that we have assurance of our salvation. He gives us a bunch of things. He gives us a collection of truths. So we must take them to ourselves as a collection. We must not just look at only one of these things in regards to salvation. Let me mention as well, these things will be present. The Bible teaches very clearly that when we are saved, we have what the Bible uses the terminology. We have a new man inside of us. Look with me briefly in Ephesians 2 and verse number 1. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened. That word quickened means made alive. Our spirits, we're made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the spirit, the deepest part of us, when we were born, is dead in trespasses and sins. We are dead spiritually. When we trust Christ as our Savior, that is brought to life. That is the resurrection of Jesus Christ applied to our person. Just as Christ died and was buried, but he rose again from the dead, When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he brings our spirit, which was born in a dead state, that makes sense, born spiritually dead to God. He brings that to life. He brings the power of the resurrection into our life. We have been raised 
as this new person. We are now alive to God. We have an opportunity to communicate to God. We are hungry for the word of God. There are many, many different factors, indications of our new birth being present that we'll look at here in this list. If the new birth is present, it will be obvious as we go through this list. If the new birth is not present, it will also be obvious when we go through this list. Someone who has never been saved is spiritually dead. And it says here, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Previous to salvation, every person is dead in their trespasses and sins. Verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world. This is a an indication of someone who is an unbeliever. They care nothing for the things of God. Listen, they are dead to spiritual truth. They care nothing for it. I brought something with me to help illustrate this. This is my weightlifting belt. There's also a bunch of tracks in the bag. That's why there's... Okay, now I'm going to explain this little saying right here. Okay, you can laugh if you want to. I actually thought about not doing it. This is the brand name of this belt. Okay, this is a Russian term. Okay, in the weightlifting world, there's something called a kettlebell. I mean, you guys know what a kettlebell is. Okay, it's like a weight that has one handle on it, and you can grab it with two hands. It looks like a ball with a handle, a heavy ball with a handle. Now, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, these weightlifting instruments called kettlebells came from Russia. That's who invented them back in the day, and they used them in farming. So to weigh how much grain was and so on and so forth, they use them to put them on a scale. So they, because obviously the handle being very handy, they grabbed it and they put it on the scale and you could use that to pick it up. Well, the word that they would use to decide um, how heavy a particular kettlebell was in the weight, just like we would use pounds or kilos. In England, they use stone. How many stone or how much do you weigh in stones, right? I don't completely understand what that means. But anyway, it's just a it's just a term of weight. There's also a term called pood. So two pood is actually 72 pounds. Does that make perfect sense to you? You guys are completely anyway. All right. What is that called? Velcro. All right. So we all know that weightlifters, when they put this on, you're supposed to wear it high on your person. You're not supposed to wear it like a belt. You're supposed to wear it all the way up here a little bit high because my speaker's there. But you put it and you crank it down really tight, right? Because when you pick up a heavy weight, it's very easy for you to fold in half. And if you fold in half, you can't pick it up. Whether it's a deadlift or whatever the, what, whatever the term, whatever the particular lift is. The weightlifters will wear a big belt like this. And of course, this very serious weightlifters will wear a belt made out of leather. Right. But I'm not that serious. So I've got one like this. OK. If I'm going to pick up or if someone is going to pick up a heavy weight and they and they put this on. I'm curious if I'm going to ruin my tie with this Velcro. And they go like that and then they strain against the belt. They and they try to pick something up and the Velcro either is not there or it's very poor and it pops open that person can become injured. 
right? So this Velcro has to be strong. You couldn't just take some kind of wrapping, like just plain fabric, and wrap it around your middle because as soon as you tried to do something and pick up weight, it would just come off. This gives me, listen, this gives me assurance. It gives me safety. This is a safety item. Anybody who picks up weights will wear one of these when the weights get really, really heavy. And the people who brag, oh, I did that without a weight belt. Now oh, you're about to get yourself injured eventually. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. It's Velcro. One side had these really small little hooks, right? We all know what Velcro is. And the other side is fuzzy. Okay? It has the possibility of working every time. The strength is present. Every time I do this, it's going to work. That's the new birth. When I when we go through this list, some some if you're not saved, as we go through this list, it's going to be like, well, that's not there. That's not there. That's not inside. I don't have that inside me. I don't have that desire. I don't have that hunger. The evidence of the word of God connects with what's inside of you. And it, and it reaffirms and comforts and assures our hearts before God that we are the children of God. Whereas if you were to take it and go on the opposite side, smooth against smooth, it's not going to hold. There's nothing there. And when someone is not truly born again, when they hear all of these promises of God, it's like that doesn't, nope, that's not there. That's just, it doesn't stick. But if you're truly born again and you hear that promise, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because there's something inside to stick to the promise, just like there's two sides that stick together. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's look at the one that we're already on. Ephesians 2, look at verse 2. We're in time past. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, this is describing unbelievers. Listen, we must not get angry at unbelievers for acting out their lost condition. They're lost. They're going to have no desire to obey God's word and honor the Lord. All those people out there, they're not even in church. They're lost. Why would a lost person go to church? They don't have any desire for that. They have to be invited. God can work in their heart, but in and of themselves, they've got no desire for the things of God. There's no hunger. What do they have a desire for? Look at what it says here. It says that they walk according to the course of this world. What does that mean? They do what all of the other lost people are doing. They are floating down the same river as everyone else is floating down. They all go to the same parties. They all do the same Sinful behaviors, they all say the same sinful words. They all, they, and yes, there are some who try to be a bit better than others, but essentially they all follow the course of this world. Notice there's the course of this world, and then we can see the spirit that works in them. 
which is Satan himself. It says, according to the prince of the power of the air. Their spirits are dead to God. They don't have any power against, excuse me, they don't have any power against satanic activity, temptation, suggestion. All they have is just their own self-discipline, which will fall before these temptations. They will fall according to the course of the world. They will fall according to, because of the suggestions and temptations of the flesh in themselves, but also because Satan is tempting them. And what does this result in? It says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. One of the primary factors that we know for sure that we're saved is not that we are perfect, but that we want to obey God. We want to do right. We want to honor him. We want to worship. We have, listen, the hunger for God, the hunger to obey is there. If there is not inside of you a desire to obey God, and we don't always obey that desire. We don't always submit to the Holy Spirit who is working in our heart according to this new man that we have inside of us, this spirit that's been brought to life. Sometimes we fall according to the course of the world and we do what everybody else is doing, but the desire is still there to do right. Do you see the difference? Sometimes we do fall to the temptation of Satan. There's a suggestion to do something wrong or say something wrong or have a lustful uh, moment or, or, or even to engage in some sin that's even bigger. And sometimes we fall to the temptation, but the desire, the deep-seated, supernatural desire is there to do right, to obey. Someone who has not been born again has no desire to obey God. That's why when they see that you're a church person and you have a bundle of invitations in your hands and they see you come walking down the street, we've all seen it. Oh no, it's church people. There's two or three or four of us. We're laughing, having a good time. and We've got flyers in our hands. And they run to the other side of the street. Sometimes they literally run to the other side of the street and they're not even wearing running shoes. Like they, they've lost their flip-flop and they're just hopping. Not really. <laughs> I've got no desire to connect with God. Well, there may be some desire in there, a little bit, but it's not the primary desire. They don't have a hunger. They're... they're There is not a spiritual marker of obedience. First John two is another verse that says something similar. First John two. First John two. One through three. 
1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, by the way, a believer has a desire not to sin. It's really the same, uh, on, on the same kind of point that we're on right here, where they have a dis- desire to obey. They have a desire not to sin. An unbeliever doesn't really have that desire. They often make excuses for their sin. There may be some things that they wouldn't want to do, but for there to be a deep-seated desire that they're sensitive to God, that I don't want to do this, that's not there. These things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Notice we will have assurance of our salvation. We will know that we know him. We will have the deep assurance that we know God if we keep his commandments. It doesn't mean we're not saved. If we are walking according to the flesh and not obeying God like we should, then we can actually get to the place where we're not sure if we're saved. That assurance is gone. It's not that our salvation is gone. The assurance is gone. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. We're talking about habitually a lifestyle of never obeying God. It is an attribute of the new birth that we have a desire to obey and keep his commandments. It doesn't mean we do it perfectly. Nobody's perfect. Honestly, there is an indication of the new birth simply because we try and we fail and we try and we fail and we try and we fail. The try is there. The try is there. We have this heart attitude towards God that I want to please you. I want to obey you. I want to know your word. And I want to obey that word. Verse 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. If we say that we love him, if we say that we are saved, there is a drive inside of us to obey him and to be like Christ in our life. Once again, it doesn't mean that we will do it perfectly. That is not possible. But inside, the hunger and the desire to love God and obey God, it is there. It is there. One who claims to be a Christian, but is not truly born again, says they know Jesus, but they don't keep his commandments. They may acknowledge the commands of God and recognize their importance. They may want the Ten Commandments, for example. This is something that occurred down in the United States. They may want the Ten Commandments perhaps to be posted outside of a courtroom. Perhaps they would want the Ten Commandments to be listed in a school or another public place. But they do not personally keep them. They do not watch God's commandments and guard them. They are not so vital that they exhibit a lifestyle demonstrating their value. Something that we say with our mouth, but don't 
have any capacity in our heart to follow. That person has not been born again. They will tell everyone listening they're a Christian, but there is no desire to walk as Jesus walked. Do you have the desire to keep his commandments? Do you have the desire to obey God? Pastor, I do, but I fail. You know what? That's, that's us. That's who, that's, <laughs> that means that's what Christians do. None of us are perfect. And we, and we strive, but we can often fail. Let's look at this one since we're in John. 1 John 3 and 14. 1 John 3 and 14. Notice that when it's talking about believers and being born again, there's always a distinction between, in Ephesians 2, it talked about how there's the world, the course of this world, the way everybody else is doing it, and the way everybody else goes, and they've got this spirit that is being tempted by Satan. He, By the way, he's the tempter, but he is also the tormentor. Most people's so many problems in people's lives could be solved if they would just get saved and get in church and learn to follow God's word. So many of the, of the torment, so much of the torment in their minds would be gone if they would just trust Christ as their savior. They are being toyed with by Satan and the evil spirits of this world and they don't even realize it. We have victory over that. God has given us victory over that. But also in 1 John 3 and verse number 13 and 14, it begins to talk about, again, a distinction between the world and those of us who are saved. There is always a distinction. Verse 13 says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. If the world hates you, we are fundamentally different. We're talking about this on Wednesday night, actually. On Wednesday night, we've been talking about how we are fundamentally different. Verse 14. Notice the specific words. We know that we have passed from death unto life. We know. He's giving us this assurance. Again, one, we have this desire to obey his commands. The second one very specifically says, you know that you've been, you've passed from death unto life. You know that you're born again. Why? Because you love the brethren. You love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. It doesn't mean that you love every Christian like they're the most amazing person in this world. It means that inside of you, inside of this new nature, you have this deep connection with other believers that cannot be explained other than the fact that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. The Spirit of God lives inside of me. I recognize the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And we have this connection through Jesus Christ. We both love the same Savior. And it's an amazing thing to experience. Some of you have been to other countries and, 
And I'll just share one of my experiences where you may go to a country where you don't even speak the same language. Of course, that can happen here in Toronto just as easily. But you know, you know that you're a Christian. I know that I'm a Christian. I know that you're a Christian. All we can do is just smile at each other. And maybe you shake hands and you hold both of their hands and you smile at each other. It's so good, you know. Maybe in that culture it's good to hug. Maybe it's not and you hug them anyway. In Nepal it was always this, two hands together. Believers would say, Jay Masi. Unbelievers would say, Namaste. Namaste essentially means I greet the God inside of you. Jay Masi. Jay is the word for victory. Masi or Messiah. Or Messiah. Victory to the Messiah is how they would greet other believers. Isn't that good? Victory to the Messiah. And they wouldn't touch each other. That wasn't that kind of a culture. But especially when I first got there and I couldn't speak a word of Nepali except for Jamesy. Big smiles. Shake hands. Men and men would shake hands. You'd never shake hands with a, uh, a woman. Like that's just, again, their culture. But big smiles and there was a connection there. What's the connection? The connection is we both love the same Jesus Christ who died for our sin. He died for the sins of the whole world. And when you travel this world and you go into another church or you bump into another believer, there is an otherworldly connection that cannot be explained other than the fact that you've experienced the new birth and I've experienced the new birth And isn't Jesus Christ just wonderful? You bump into somebody and they can say, this is something I'm experiencing. And you can encourage them in the Lord. You don't know anything about them, but you know the same Jesus and you can encourage them and read them a scripture or pray with them. You've never met them before, ever. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's not me. It's not my nationality. It's not you and your nationality. It is Christ himself that is shining through. And that is present. If you are a believer, that's in there. We may fight it. There may be the draw to the world, and there definitely is in each and every one of us because we have both the old nature and the new nature inside of us. We have both the old man, the Bible says, and the new man inside of us. They both are in there. And there is a struggle. Every day we have to decide, am I going to walk in the flesh? Am I going to walk in the spirit? Am I going to walk according to my natural desires? There is this some kind of philosophy or teaching in this world that somehow if it's a natural thing, that it is intrinsically pure. Oh, it's natural. It's natural. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with anything that's natural. It's natural soap. Good for natural soap. Just because natural soap may be good for your body doesn't mean that everything inside of you that you are naturally born with means that it is good. We are naturally sinners. And some of those desires and some of those leanings And some of those appetites are not good for you. Animals don't have a sinful, a sin nature. They're just animals. 
And my little puppy dog is hungry all the time. He always wants what we're eating. It doesn't matter what it is. He loves peanut butter. He knows what that smells like. And he loves bacon. Bacon grease. Loves it. As soon as we fire up bacon on the stove, man, he starts going crazy. But we know and every night, not every night, several nights of the week, I'll eat one chocolate, one good chocolate. Look, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have chocolate, get the good stuff and just have one. Don't go get the cheap, nasty, waxy stuff and eat a whole bunch of it. Get the good stuff and just eat one. That's my philosophy. You're not gonna believe little Oliver, my puppy dog. What does he want? He wants the chocolate, something fierce. I don't know if it's the crinkling of the wrapper. We know, and we actually Googled it. Like, honestly, is chocolate bad for dogs? It's definitely bad for dogs. It will kill them. It's toxic to dogs. Okay. I'm not going to test that out. We're just going to take that by faith. But he doesn't know that, and he doesn't care. And he doesn't have a sin nature. Listen, we have natural desires, like eating bad things, like chocolate, <laughs> right? But then we also have a sinful nature that is drawn into the sin. When you get saved, that's still there. You are still drawn into things. By the way, this is why those of us who are Christians and have children should help them to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because if they begin to experience all of the sinful pleasures that the world has to offer, that opens up new appetites for them to struggle with later in life. Why would we do that to them? We must be extraordinarily careful with these things right here. I'm using this to record the message. Please do not give a child a cell phone and let them just surf YouTube without any safe search on, without you knowing what they're watching. They're going to see things and hear things and experience things that no child should ever experience and not even grown-ups. It will begin to awaken new desires in their heart and in their, and, and, and in their spirit that they should not have to deal with. Uh, a pastor recently uh, posted for prayer on a pastor's uh, group uh, several months ago and was asking that they have a nine-year-old in their services who is addicted to pornography. A nine-year-old. Why? Because their parent did not want to parent, couldn't be bothered with helping their child, and just threw them a device. There is something extra. We have, oh my goodness. I need to preach a whole sermon on this. We have got to be cautious with this, guys. These things are so addictive. We, we wouldn't hand a child a bottle of whiskey. We wouldn't hand a child a pack of cigarettes or a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, 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 marijuana. Go play with something highly addictive. We wonder why children act badly sometimes. They are addicted. They are addicted. You know, there's something about these things. You guys saw a little bit of it this morning. My iPad's not working the way I want it to. It's supposed to work the way I want it to. That's the way it was designed. Is that true? That's not life. And if we give a child an iPad or a device and every time the game works the way the game is supposed to work and the app and the video is always, you touch the button and it, oh, it makes me happy. 
little bit of endorphin release. This is great. This is amazing. And they're on that device for hours and hours and hours a day. You take the device away and then slowly, a couple of minutes, and they just burst into flames almost. Because life is not push a button, get what I want. Push a button, get what I want. Push a button, get what I want. You have to learn to be patient. You have to learn to filter what comes out of your mouth. Hello. And then if somebody, as a child, leaks into watching pornography, they get this huge endorphin rush from watching this stuff. That is not real life. It's fake. That is not the way a relationship works. Are we okay? Are we listening? We've got to be cautious, man. These things should come with huge... We put warning labels on cigarettes. I mean, like, I think in Canada, the packages have like a giant black lung on them. Isn't that true? At least the packages I've seen, at least the packages I've bought, I'm just kidding. Just making sure you're listening. The point is we have a sin nature. We have a sin nature. If we are saved, we are both hungry for the things of God and we are also hungry for the things of the flesh. We are hungry for both. If you're not saved, you don't have a hunger for the things of God. You only have a hunger for the things of the flesh. You may know that it's right. That's only conscience. That's not Holy Spirit. I'll end with this. We only had a couple. We'll continue this list next Sunday, Lord willing. I have a hunger for the things of God. Connect with the people of God. Desire to obey his commands. That means I'm saved. So how do I live like a Christian? If I have to contend with both of these desires, the one that you feed the most will be the one that you live in. Both desires are present. You need to starve the one and feed the other. Reading your Bible is not just reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is walking in the spirit. It is feeding the new man. Some of us are really struggling in our spiritual walk because spiritually we are fasting. All throughout the week, we're not reading scripture. We're not listening to good Christian music. We don't have good Christian fellowship in our life. Church attendance kind of hit and miss potentially for some people. And it seems so easy to slide into the old ways. But how much content do we digest? How many podcasts, how much YouTube, how much streaming services? Come on. How much worldly music do we listen to? Of course it's going to be easy to live in the flesh if that's what we're feeding. What are we feeding? That is what we will walk in. But if we are not saved, there's nothing to feed. We don't have a spirit to feed. The Holy Spirit's not there. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.